Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today's podcast is the anniversary of the terrorist attacks on 9-11. We will talk with a survivor who grew up in Silver Lake, who was in the Twin Towers that day, and his harrowing escape and life since that terrible attack. But first, here's three recent headlines from BeaconJournal.com. The Summit County Board of Health is now offering free rapid at-home COVID-19 tests. The Binax Now Antigen tests are part of a partnership with the state of Ohio and several medical providers. The at-home test will give you results within 15 minutes if you're symptomatic or have been exposed to someone with COVID. The county has also given these tests to schools, so students can take them home and parents can test them. Reporter Doug Livingston did a story about a number of commercial landlords who have asked for a tax break as a result of the loss of business related to COVID. Some 29 commercial landlords are seeking or asking the county to drop their property values by 10 to up to 65% to offset revenue lost during the pandemic. Among them are the owner of the Howell Avenue Retail Plaza that includes a PetSmart, the Boutique Hotel in downtown Akron, a former Rite Aid pharmacy on Kenmore Boulevard in Akron, and the Courtyard by Marriott Hotel in Akron. And finally, reporter Jim McKinnon took a look at Labor Day and the job market in the Akron area. It's a bit complex, as he found out, as there are plenty of people still unemployed or underemployed, but employers are having trouble finding employees for open positions. BeaconJournal.com and all of our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. It's been 20 years since the terrorist attacks on 9-11. Our guest today, George Hessler, grew up in Silver Lake and is a 1977 graduate of Western Reserve Academy. Life's journey took him to New York City, where he was working for a firm on the 83rd floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center on that tragic day. George, welcome, and and I want to thank you in advance for for sharing your story. Uh, Craig, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be here. So, I mean, like I said, I wasn't in New York, um, but... I was living in Medina, and, and I can tell you about everything that happened that day, about whether we debated about sending our kindergartner, our oldest daughter, to school. Um, on, on, in our particular case, I was watching Nickelodeon, was kind of unaware of everything that was happening because we had little kids in the house. My wife was working in Cleveland, and and until I happened to change channels with an outside to play, um, and then we found, you know, that's when I first learned. But for you, it was a very different day, or maybe it was a very typical day. Do you, you remember how it started? Yeah, sure. I I got to the office, I want to say around uh, 8 o'clock or so in the morning, and it was about my normal time. And uh, there was a a conference that was scheduled uh, upstairs, meaning the very top floor of the World Trade Center. And I wanted to get through some of my my emails and also kind of catch up on work. Uh, So I decided not to go to the conference for the the first speaker, you know, breakfast meeting. 
um, but rather catch up on on everything and then go to the conference in the afternoon. As it turned out, that kind of saved my life. But uh, you know, I was I would I read the paper, I uh, read those emails as I mentioned, and uh, and then the plane struck. Well, it was a big building. I mean, obviously it was a big building, but did you actually feel it at the time, or it, did you really not sense that something had happened right away? Yeah, so the plane hit on 92, and we were on the 83rd floor. Uh, of course, everyone from the 92nd floor on up eventually perished. Um, but the building itself shook incredibly. We We figured it was either... A bomb, uh, like they had had, I guess, in 1993, um, or a plane, and more likely a plane, because I was starting to smell what it turned out to be, I guess, jet fuel. And so uh, the building kind of shook back and forth, almost like, uh, you know, the, the deck of a ship. Now, we were kind of used to the building moving very slightly, a few inches one way or the other over, you know, a long period of time, but because it was built to withstand strong winds, but this was completely different. This was a, a massive move of the building back and forth, and it swayed back and forth, uh, so that it was almost hard to stand for about, uh, I would say, two or three minutes. Now, you were in your office this whole time. Now, maybe you should say what you were doing for a living. You you worked for what type of firm? It was a... Yeah, my company was called Lava Trading, and we were one of the pioneers in electronic trading of stocks. Our customers were the big investment banks and big trading firms. And uh, we were kind of a startup at that time, but it ended up being a you know, pretty significant company. And this kind of is a good setting to say, you know, I mean, we, we kind of view our life contemporary, right? You know, that, that I remember, I mean, I think I had a flip phone back then. I mean, and, and to even get a call out, I mean, you know, it was even iffy on a good day. I mean, you, you probably maybe had a early cell phone. I mean, internet was kind of common in an office, but, but it wasn't, you know, the, you didn't have all the connections, I mean, to home and, and to your, your loved ones, did you? Uh, we did have internet. Uh, it wasn't Wi-Fi. <laughs> it was, it was hookup. Um, so that's how I was reading my emails on a big, you know, fat computer, <laughs> you know, the way those monitors always looked and as a desktop. And we did have cell phones, uh, but the primary way to call anybody would not have been on a cell phone because the coverage wasn't very good. So, so the plane hit the building and, and you realized that obviously this wasn't a drill and, and this was a, a time to start evacuating, right? Um, I guess now you'd say that, but actually I ran out of my office to see, uh, what had, what had happened. And I went into the, sort of the bullpen area of our company and I could see in the sunshine little sparkles of glass falling down outside the window. It was a sunny day, uh, but that really made us think that something had happened above us and that it was you know, very possibly a plane that had run into our building. Now, the first thought is not terrorism. Maybe it would be today, uh, but it wasn't necessary then. Um, and so I ran back into my office and called my wife. I told her, you know, to turn on the news because this is going to be a big event and that I smelled this, what I said was gas or gasoline, and it was jet fuel, I guess. 
And she said, well, then go, go, get out of there. And I, uh, you know, I, I realized that this was, you know, a, a potential big tragedy. I didn't think the building would disappear, and no one ever expects that. So what I did was, but I, but I thought maybe I would not be in the office for, let's say, a week or so if there was some kind of problem with the building. And so I shut down my computer. I, um, believe it or not, went to the bookshelf where a bunch of books had been thrown onto the floor from the from the plane hitting, and I put the books back in the bookshelf, which sounds kind of stupid right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing you would do if you were going to be away from the office for a week. And then I gathered things so that we could get out of the office. So it was, it was, it was, you know, quick movement, I would say, but it wasn't a panic by any means. So you obviously, elevators were working or not working. You probably took the stairs, right? You were, you were right to the stairs. Yeah. So I, I quickly looked through my desk to see what would I, I would take. And I went through some of the drawers and, and, uh, one of them was, I held my cell phone and another, which is a good thing to take <laughs> even back then. And another was my, since it wasn't really a smartphone, uh, was my, I guess my pocket diary, you would call it, which keeps your calendar. Um, and so that was something easy to carry. Um, I didn't check all the drawers. I wish I had checked one other drawer because there was a wonderful wine in that, in that drawer, uh, <laughs> Chateau Mouton Rothschild. But once I gathered the, the phone and the and the diary, I ran out again into the bullpen and said, "Okay, let's go, guys!" and and tried to get everybody to move out of the office as as, as quickly as we could at that point. So, what did you encounter after you left your office and and hit staircases? Well, the thing about a you know a building getting hit by a plane is it sways back and forth, and you know, like I said, it did that for a couple of minutes, but when it finally settles, it doesn't necessarily settle straight, straight up and down. And, and so it was actually tilted a little bit, which if you think about it, you know, one of the problems with that is doors don't work very well. Um, and so our door was kind of wedged and it was a little hard to open. And it's a pretty a significant door. I suppose it was sort of a fire door effectively. Uh, but we we kicked and kicked and kicked, and we finally got it open, let's say, a couple of feet, enough so that we could go through one by one sideways uh, through it. And I know that other people on the 83rd floor um, died when I don't believe they were able to get out of their office. They may have called down and, and were told to stay where they were, and people would come and help them. But in any case, um, they eventually died on on that floor, but we got everybody out. We quickly uh, walked toward the elevator. I, I told everyone I knew that there was a fire escape over by the elevator, but as I made the turn to lead the group, it, it was sort of like a scene out of a movie, but the entire wall blew up. Um, it was like one of those explosions where a big fireball lights up the wall and it started shooting towards us. And so we ducked back around the corner as this fireball went flying down the the hallway. I guess firefighters call it a flashover. And we had kind of worked our way back in the office 
And people said, what are we going to do now? There's a fire on the floor. I guess the jet fuel had gone down the elevator shaft and ignited on something. And I said, well, we're, we're definitely not going to stay here. And so we moved back out and looked for another fire escape. And we eventually got into that. Was it crowded when you when you reached the fire escape from other? I guess you were kind of as high as you could be, right? I mean, your your floor was pretty much probably not too many people and floors above you. Yeah, but it was it was recently crowded. I think what ended up happening was, as I mentioned, everyone from ninety second floor on up died um, in the tragedy. But the odd thing about it is, I believe everyone on the ninety first floor of my building, which was the North Tower, what they call one World Trade Center. I believe everyone on 91 lived. It was that clear cut. And the reason I think that everyone on 91 lived is because when the plane hits that close, you don't go back in your office. You don't call your wife. You don't shut down your computer. You, you run. don't pick up books, right? You don't, uh... you don't pick up books. That's true. <laughs> and so the fact that we were a little bit isolated, you know, being you know, effectively nine floors below the impact meant that we did not know exactly how serious it was. So by the time we got into the fire escape, there were quite a few people in it, and we were going down two by two. And that's walking how many floors? 80, when you said you're in which floor again? I mean, that's still a long walk, right? Even downhill. <laughs> a long walk. A... <laughs> yeah, it's a long walk, but that's not really the issue. I used to train by running steps for skiing or other sports. And I would routinely do, say, you know, people who know Stairmaster would, would know you do, you know, I would do 140 flights of steps. And it would only take a few minutes normally, but that's with you alone running. When you're going down two by two in a fire escape, it takes a long time. And more importantly, as we were going down, um, we very often had to move to the side and stop our progress. It could be that a firefighter was coming up. And then, of course, the two-by-two would become single file. In a sense, it's a little bit like if you had a highway and all of a sudden it became, you know, two-way. You know, you can imagine the the traffic jam that would result. Um, Occasionally, also, we would hear that someone was coming down from above us and you know, a burn victim was coming, for example, and they might be carrying them in a chair, sort of a, a makeshift stretcher. And, of course, everyone would move to the side and let the burn victim um, go down as they carried them down. So because of that, it took well over an hour to get out of the building. And meanwhile, there's other events transpiring while you're in the stairwell that you probably weren't aware of, right? Uh, yeah, again, yes and no. I guess we we got down to, I want to think, around the 50th floor or so. And, you know, it was getting, there were fumes and, and uh, some dust, and people had uh, put a roll of paper towels if anybody wanted a paper towel to cover their faces. Someone had, I think, broken into a a water dispensing machine, like with bottles, and said, look, if you need a bottle of water, take it. If you don't, leave it there for other people. But around the 50th floor, I, I recall hearing sort of like a, a firework or an explosion. It was 
kind of like, you know, when an airplane, well, when an airplane comes in and goes, yeah, that sort of uh, sound, and then boom. So almost like a bomb. And I didn't think anything of it because, of course, you don't expect two buildings to be hit. But that was number two getting hit. Um, so at that point, I thought, well, maybe our building is having problems. That was a very strange sound. But, you know, later on, I thought back to that moment. But at the time, you can rationalize it. And you don't think of it as another plane. So, yeah, we had no real knowledge of what was going on. So you're continuing down. Did the pace pick up a little bit at that point, or was it still as fast as it could go trying to evacuate thousands of people through a stairway? Yeah, unfortunately, if anything, it got slower um, as we went down because there there are more and more people getting into the into the stairwell. Um, when we first got in, there were only you know eight floors of people above us that would be coming down. Um, Further down, there were lots and lots of people getting into the stairwell, and there were more and more firefighters coming up. And so at some point, the firefighters wanted to take over our stairwell, and I want to say somewhere around the 25th floor or so, and they asked us to go to a different stairwell. So we crossed across the floor, and then they took our stairwell. So then we found another stairwell to go down, and we could see all the firefighters just lying around. They're exhausted. If you've ever seen a firefighter at work, he's carrying must be 50 pounds of equipment, whether it's a air tanks or hose or an axe. Um, of course, his heavy coat and everything. Um, so you know, we, we could see them kind of resting on this on this. I want to say around the 25th floor or so. And and people said to us, look, you know, the fire is way above you. Take your time. Don't worry about it. And, you know, I think there was that, that's kind of symptomatic of what we what we thought about all day long, which is, you know, you get this explosion, you can die, but then it's OK. The building settles. But then you get on the hallway, the hallway catches on fire. You're going to die of fire. Nope, get in the stairwell. Okay, now you're safe again. And so it was sort of this recurring theme throughout the day where there were periods of panic, but there were also periods of, you know, extreme calm. And you were still making your evacuation when the other tower fell, right? Yeah. I, I, what ended up happening was I could, we were almost out of the fire escape. Um, and if you remember the World Trade Center, for people that haven't been there, it was a very tall atrium. So the lobby itself might have been five floors tall. And on the second floor around the outside was a balcony that kind of wrapped around the outside. And that's where the fire escape exited onto. So we would have exited onto the second floor of this of the lobby. And... As I could, I just made the turn. I could see the door uh, exiting onto the balcony, and I'm trudging behind people. And all of a sudden, we started hearing this very loud shaking, and people were screaming. And people who had just gotten out on the balcony were running back to get into the fire escape. 
And what was happening was number two was coming down and it was exploding into our lobby. Glass was flying everywhere. And so people rushed back into the fire escape and actually pushed me up another flight. And then someone slammed the door shut. And the noise got louder and louder. And at that point, it was getting so loud, I thought that that was the end. And I kind of looked up at the ceiling, you know, thinking that's, it's just going to, the end is going to come right now. Um, but then it settled down. The lights went out. Water started flowing down the steps. So I guess some pipes had broken. Um, but, you know, nothing had happened except for that. <laughs> yeah, except for that. No, we, we hadn't had the, the ceiling, of course, crack or the walls crack. So at that point, we knew that we were alive. And you continued. The people in the front probably found an exit, right? You were just following those who were ahead of you. Yes, yeah, so I thought we could then continue to go out, but they said the door wouldn't open. And so now we had a real problem because it was dark, it was getting wet, and we couldn't get out the way we were, we were going. And so because of that atrium, to find another fire escape, we had to go up. So we went back up, I want to say to the, the sixth floor or so, and went across in the darkness. There were occasionally firefighters' lights or, you know, those emergency lights, and tried to find another fire escape. And we went down that, but that didn't work either. And so we had to do it again. And finally, we found a fire escape that faced away from the South Tower, and we were able to get out that way. And what did it look like outside? I mean, it probably was one of just, well, you're probably the better describe it. Yeah, it looked like a war zone. Um, when we finally got out of the building, uh, first thing I did was look up as I was getting out to make sure nothing was going to fall down. Um, again, rationalizing, I had thought that maybe the top of our building had fallen off. I, again, I didn't know about two world trade. So if if our building was unstable, I wanted to kind of peek out, make sure that it was okay to then run across underneath the shelter of another building. But to do that, I had to walk across the debris from the South Tower. And if you remember the World Trade Center, it had a, a bunch of aluminum sheathing, I guess, that went around the tower, made, made it a nice aluminum, nice silver look. Those, those aluminum pieces looked like, I guess if you've gone to a library, you think about those library shelves that are made out of metal. And they were strewn all over the place. So, and, and it was covered with this, you know, brownish gray dust. And so we had to climb over all those things to then eventually get out, get out of, you know, get away from the area. So where were you when the second tower fell? How far away were you? So I 
walk down what is now called the survivor steps. Um, it's the it's actually in the museum now. Um, it was really the only way to get off of that plaza, so we, we kind of lucked out by finding that north exit. And I called my wife. It was very hard to get through um, because I think a lot of the cell phone towers were actually on top of the World Trade Center. But after trying and trying and trying, I finally got through, and she said, where are you? I said, I'm on the street. And she said, well, run, you know, the, the building fell down. And I said, well, no, the building didn't fall down because I didn't know about the South Tower. But she said, you know, you have to leave. And then we got cut off. I hit redial, redial, redial. Couldn't get through. And so I started walking. And I think I got about um, five or six blocks away. And people started screaming. And that was our building coming down. So you didn't live in New York, so you had to then find your way home. Uh, you know, a lot of transportation was shut down. I mean, did we, how long did it take you to finally get home and to your wife? Yeah, I wasn't able to talk to her until I got in into the house. Uh, I got to the, the house, I think, around 1 o'clock or so. Uh, our tower fell at 10.29, I think it is. And so... It took a long time to get home for a number of reasons. As I started walking towards the subway, I was kind of surprised to see a bunch of buildings closed because I didn't know the enormity of what had happened. And I, I saw that the subway was closed. And it looked like there weren't any buses. And there was really no way to, to get to Midtown, which is where I needed to get to. I needed to get to Grand Central Station to take a train. Uh, to the suburbs. And that's, you know, a few miles. So eventually I just said, well, I'll just start walking. And when I got to Grand Central, uh, there was a huge crowd outside. I guess they had closed the building. And as I approached it, they had just, I saw some movement on one side of the, the barriers. And I guess they had just decided to open it up and just get people out of, off the island. And so it was just really at that moment they they started letting people into Grand Central, and they just put them on trains and you know started having them move. No schedule or anything. Just just get on a train and get out of there. Uh, so I would guess that would have been somewhere around noon. At what point in that day did you finally feel like I think I'm safe? I, I think that I have survived. Well, I think you think you're safe way too early. <laughs> you know, when the building stopped shaking, I thought I was safe. And we're back to the when books again, picking up the books off the floor. That's... Yeah. When we got into the hallway and we saw the fireball and then went back and went down another fire escape and got below the fire, we thought we were safe. Did everyone in your office um, make it? Did everybody, was everyone accounted for? Everyone did survive. Uh, one person went to the hospital because he had gotten out a little before me and got hit with some of the debris from the South Tower coming down. But everyone survived in our company. 
know, they talk about it. And I would say survivor's guilt may not be a good description, but I mean, do you ever have those feelings of a floor to, you know, if the building had just been, the pitch had been a little bit more, maybe we couldn't have gotten the door open. I mean, that there are so many things that really went right for you and, and your colleagues that day. Yeah, I would say that when I think about that day, in some ways, I was so incredibly lucky. In some ways, of course, I was incredibly unlucky. You know, if they're going to hit essentially three buildings that day um, in the United States. I just happened to be in one of them. That's, in some sense, bad luck, although you would expect that the World Trade Center would definitely be a target, as it was several years earlier. But then, of course, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I didn't go to the conference in the morning, which would have been, as it turns out, sure death. Um, I escaped the fireball. I was not on the plaza when the South Tower fell down. So in some ways, you know, I was lucky. And, of course, I'm, I'm very grateful to be alive. I kind of think about that as a it's almost a, a rebirthday. Well, go back to the books again. I mean, little decisions made, you know, just instead of just running out of the building. And, and like you said, you might have been in the plaza. You might have been out too soon. And did it change your life? I mean, your your outlook and just in what you did after that and just how you, you know, lived your life? Well, I drink better wine now. Oh, well, <laughs> did you ever buy a, another bottle of the bottle that was uh, left in your, in your desk drawer? I did, actually. But, uh, you know, I, w- I would say that I I think every day is a special occasion. Every day is sort of a gift. And I think a lot of people who have faced death feel that way. It makes you grateful for life and not take things for granted. Was it hard to eventually return to the office? I'm sure your office relocated somewhere, right? And and was it difficult to kind of go back into the city and, and just resume what I guess would be a normal life? Maybe there never was another normal life after that in the business. It wasn't normal for quite a while. We were offered some space in another office, kind of shared an office with a, another firm. And then we we took an office Believe it or not, again downtown near the New York Stock Exchange, and the fire was still going on for weeks, I guess, at the at the Trade Center site. So we could smell that. It smelled terrible down there. It was sort of an electrical fire smell, or oily electrical fire smell. And so maybe we didn't feel normal until. We built our own office, which built out in our own office. It took, I want to say, something like six months. I understand you have a child who's starting, who's not a child anymore, starting college this year. Is it kind of hard to, you know, to think about that there are, I mean, I have five kids. Uh, three of them were, were born, you know, be, before the, the tragedy day. But, you know, to have a child who just wasn't, you know, wasn't around that day. I mean, it just it just feels like it was such a defining moment in our history to that she grew up in a post nine eleven world. Yeah, we definitely thought about that. Uh, we named her Hope. She was born two years later, and there was sort of our hope for the future. 
and now here we are on the you know, 20th anniversary, effectively. And uh, she's 18 and, and going off to college. So our, our middle daughter was only two years old uh, when it happened. So I'm sure she doesn't have any memory of it. But my wife remembers her saying, it's okay, mommy. It's okay, mommy. But that's when my wife was watching television after we got cut off on the phone and our building collapsed just a few minutes later. Um, so I think, you know, young people understandably don't have a sense of that tragedy, but it was certainly part of our life. We were thinking about it when we named her, when we named her Hope. Well, George, thank you for joining us today, and I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Well, thanks very much for having me, Craig. It was, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, answer questions and, uh, and talk about it. I know some people really don't like to talk about tragedies like that. Um, and you don't know how it's going to affect you in a way. But I think um, it really hasn't been an issue for me. And, and, you know, people have asked me over the years to describe the the actions of that day, the the events of that day. And while it makes you think about things and, you know, makes you sad in some ways, um, it's also um, part of that rebirth that I was talking about. So I don't don't have any problems talking about it. I actually kind of enjoy talking about it. Well, thank you. That's all we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday wherever you download your favorite podcasts and are available on BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. Before we go, we have to thank our producer, BJ Lisko. Thanks, BJ. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, you have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, Now You Know Akron.